0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me at today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers, Fwai Tran Bui.
2: Hey, everyone.
1: And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So we have a lot of news to cover. We didn't have a podcast on Monday because a few people were out. And uh, stuff built up. And there's actually some big and exciting stories. I'll start things off with a an exclusive that I broke yesterday. A Star Wars exclusive. Uh, last week we learned that Timothy Oliphant would be cast in The Mandalorian Season 2, which is already filmed. I reported yesterday that details on Timothy Oliphant's character that he will actually be wearing Boba Fett's Mandalorian armor, the iconic Mandalorian armor. And you might be confused even more because a couple weeks ago we learned that Tamara Morrison, the guy that played Jango Fett in the prequel films, had been cast as Boba Fett for Mandalorian season two. Well, that's because Timothy Oliphant is not playing Boba Fett, but he's playing the guy that has Boba Fett's armor. Uh, in the When Force Awakens was coming out, they came out with a series of books called the Aftermath Trilogy, uh, written by author Chuck Wendig. And in those books, they introduced a character named Cobb Vanth, who is a self-appointed sheriff of a little settlement on Tatooine called Freetown, and he wears a mysterious set of Mandalorian armor that he acquired from some Jawas who scavenged the wreckage of Jabba the Hutt's sail barge shortly after the events of Return of the Jedi. As you might recall, that site was where Boba Fett met his end, or where we thought he met his end, in the Sarlacc pit in Tatooine's Dune Sea, and we had assumed... uh, I mean, it's not said in these books... Flat out, but it is pretty much assumed by everybody that the armor that he purchased and is wearing is the infamous green armor that was formerly worn by the galaxy's most notorious bounty hunter, Boba Fett. So we we don't know really much about this character because the the books don't reveal much. He's kind of like a Wyatt Earp-like character where um, he was once enslaved as evidenced by like a – he has like this scar on his back, a star-shaped scar carved into his back and uh which signified ownership and with the fall of the gangster job of the hut there's kind of like created this power vacuum of sorts uh on tatooine where it's dry, drawing all sorts of crime syndicates that are trying to take over this unruly landscape and we kind of saw that a little bit in mandalorian season one because one of the episodes or was it a couple of episodes? At least one of the episodes went to, to Tatooine and that episode ended with a mysterious character in the Dune Sea walking up. You could hear the, that um, the spurs that you heard when Boba Fett walked, walking up to a character who was uh, considered dead. And that was kind of teasing the possibility of Boba Fett being in the show so guess- just
3: to be clear, Boba Fett doesn't actually have spurs. It's his armor that's jangling that resembles the sound yeah. of spurs on cowboy boots, as a reference to uh, westerns.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely a spur sound, but there, yeah, there's no spur in the actual costume. Uh, but Brad, you were you the one that has done all the Mandalorian co- podcasts with me, and I'm I'm wondering what you think of this. Do you think that mysterious character at the end of the episode of the Mandalorian, was that Boba Fett, or could that be Cobb Vanth? Like, how do you think Cobb Vanth could play into this upcoming season?
3: I mean, it's it's certainly possible. I, I think we've talked about this before, and my assumption was that it was Moff Gideon um, who had come there and maybe needed to talk to this bounty hunter in an effort as, of tracking down uh, the Mandalorian, since he was trying to get his hands on the child, uh, you know, or a.k.a. Baby Yoda. Um, But there is the possibility that this was Boba Fett or Cobb Vanth, you know, it's, uh, it was never definitively explained that that was Moff Gideon, uh, though it was implied, and it could easily have been a thread left open to come back around uh, in the second season, you know, maybe we'll see how that scene resolved itself in the second season in some kind of flashback or something like that. Um, And yeah, I I mean, you know, I think all these possibilities are really exciting, and I think the... The addition of having a different character wearing Boba Fett's armor creates this, you know, a potential mystery of why does he have his armor and where is Boba Fett and, you know, what what's going on. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it folds out when, once the episodes start hitting this fall. Yeah,
1: I'm also curious how all these – introducing all these characters into the story, like where do they fit? Like what – I I get Boba Fett. Like, if Boba Fett is still alive. If he survived the Sarlacc pet, then there's... You know, he's not of Mandalorian bloodline. You know, he is uh, a guy wearing the costume. And, you know, this show has a lot to do with, uh, you know, what it means to be a Mandalorian. And there's stuff to explore there. But Cobb Vanth, I'm not sure what that means. I, I guess that's another guy that's wearing the suit that isn't a Mandalorian, right? Like, it's another appropriation of culture so
3: well true but but it also it also raises the question too because there has been some discussion about um the idea that the the mandalorians that mando is a part of seem to operate under a different belief system than the previous mandalorians because this is the first segment of mandalorians we've seen where they have a very strict rule about taking off their helmets and that was not something that was believed in by the Mandalorians we've seen in shows that take place before the events of The Mandalorian, so maybe this is something where the sect of Mandalorians that Mando is part of is distinctly separate, you know, and different than what we've seen before. So maybe uh, the, I guess, the authenticity of Boba Fett and Jango Fett being Mandalorians maybe isn't uh, what we think it is.
1: Yeah, we don't even know, or do we know, that the Mandalorian himself is actually a Mandalorian from Mandalore? I mean, mm-hmm. we saw him as a kid being rescued, but I guess it's not established if he is of Mandalorian blood, right?
3: I mean, I would. It was, I think it's clear that he's not because, I mean, yeah. he cl- clearly was adopted by them. And maybe maybe everyone that's a part of this group of Mandalorians is adopted and they have taken on the mantle of Mandalorians and made it their own.
1: What did they call them? Not the younglings, the the foundlings.
3: The foundlings, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting. We'll explore that when Mandalorian Season 2 hits Disney Plus sometime later this year in October. That's still Mm -hmm. on track. A big story that hit today is that HBO Max is going to release the Snyder Cut. Something that we didn't think was going to happen, but it is happening. Chris, tell
4: us about it. Ah, uh, yes. It's, it, this has been a long time coming, and you know, fans of Zack Snyder have been demanding this uh, in various ways. Some of them are perfectly nice, uh, others are very mean and cruel for some reason, but uh, in the end, they all got their way, and HBO Max is going to eventually release the Snyder Cut. It's worth uh, highlighting that, despite what a lot of people have said, the Snyder Cut doesn't really exist yet what hbo max is agreeing to do is give Zack snyder between 20 to 30 million dollars to finish up the movie and he's not going to be shooting new scenes instead he's just going to use the footage he has uh to you know piece it together um the actors are going to come back in to record dialogue but they're not going to shoot new scenes uh so after all this time the the cut didn't really exist it's just there was a rough cut that he had and now hbo max is giving him the money to make an actual snyder cut and it will be on hbo max sometime in 2021 should we all still be alive by then
1: yeah, we don't know what form this is going to take. Is it going to take the form of, like, an extended movie? Is it going to be a miniseries?
4: Yeah, there's, it's not clear yet. Um, the cut is said to be about, uh, the rough cut is about four hours long. Uh, so th- the thought right now is they're thinking either they're going to release it all as one big four-hour movie or they're going to break it up into, uh, you know, a, a serial- uh, serialized format, kind of similar to what, Quentin Tarantino did with the Hateful Eight when he recut it for uh, Netflix.
1: Yeah, I I had heard rumors about this a couple of days ago. I made a tweet that kind of made the rounds, and I heard that HBO was interested in releasing it as a mini series. That it was going to be like six episodes with the final thirty oh, minute episodes, with the final episode being a one hour long episode. So I, I guess the Snyder fans will get. Uh, if that's the case, I guess the Snyder fans will get what they want. Uh, you know, the Snyder cut split into 30-minute chunks just the way Zack Snyder intended. But um, I want to ask you – I know we've talked about this at length in the past. I want to ask you guys what how you what you feel about this. I, like I am conflicted because on one side of the coin, you know, there's a filmmaker's original vision that he is passionate about and – should get out there. Like I, I love director's cuts, even though they often are not as good as the theatrical, the the cuts that are released theatrically, but at the same time, kind of the discourse around this whole thing and the whole release, the Snyder cut movement, although they have done good things, they contributed a lot of money to suicide prevention, uh, you know, in honor of Zach's daughter, which is very commendable. But at the same time, there's a big portion of that whole crowd that, is kind of problematic, and anytime you mention anything online with the Snyder Cut, they they attack like wolves. It's it's very like unpleasant. So, on one side of the coin, I I want an artist to be able to fulfill his vision and get that released. You know, obviously HBO Max is a good place to do that because they want people to subscribe, and they're the people that are going to be willing to pay like twenty million dollars to get this finished. But on the other hand, I don't want to reward these bad eggs so uh chris what do you think
4: yeah i'm i'm right there with you i have no problem with director's cuts and i really don't have a problem with Zack snyder as you know a person and even a filmmaker i don't really like most of his movies but i don't think he's like you know the devil incarnate or anything like that but the idea of rewarding people who have spent years you know being really toxic is it really doesn't sit right with me and you know like you said there are uh, you know there is a good faction of Snyder Cut fans but a lot you know from my experience on on twitter.com the majority (laughs) are are very angry even now that they you know they've quote unquote won I'm still seeing people just being jerks about this it's like what more do you Uh. want you're getting exactly what you want and you're still acting like dicks about it i I haven't
1: seen this what is the reaction from those it's just
4: just people in general i don't want to go into it but i also don't understand why it's going to cost 30 million dollars to put this together that seems extreme to me but you know hey you know warner brothers if you want to give me 30 million dollars to finish some things i will gladly do it please (laughs) i got a i got a bunch of unfinished projects that's kicking around someone give me like i'll i'll tell you what i'll do it for 10 million One of the things
1: about the contention of the Snyder Cut is the Snyder Cut fans, uh, that whole movement, arguing that the Snyder Cut is finished, which I think this proves that it wasn't. That they're going to have to go back and they're going to have to shoot some stuff. They're going to have to do a score. They're going to have to do color timing. You know, the reason why you you, you see Snyder always releasing these images in black and white is is because, you know, the film hasn't been color-timed. His version of the film still has some animatics, needs visual effects. So, uh, you know, is the Snyder Cut completed? I mean, I guess there is some version of the Snyder Cut, but it's not completed. And it's going to take, you know, $20 million to to complete here. Um, HT, what, what do you think? Like, will you be interested in watching the Snyder Cut?
2: I have no interest whatsoever in seeing this <laughs> matter cut, precisely for all the reasons that you guys stated. Um, I don't have anything particularly against Zack Snyder. I just have it against his fans and the fandom that have really driven home this whole movement and turned it into just this toxic wasteland uh, on online. So I just, I yeah, I dislike the idea of rewarding them, but you know. Online movements are kind of a thing, I guess, that we have to just accept as part of our uh, landscape now. So I just I just hope that this will this will finally, you know, let them die down. But uh, we still have another year of this. So maybe it'll just be even more annoying and um, (laughs) want it to be sped up. So who knows? Yeah.
1: I mean, there is a dangerous precedent to be done here. I mean, it, it happened with Sonic, with them having to redo the visual effects and the design of Sonic the Hedgehog after fans kind of were outraged. And here now, you know, HBO and Warner Brothers are releasing the Snyder cuts. Uh, I will say that Zack Snyder's director's cuts are usually much better than the theatrical cuts that are, like, the compromised vision. I'm not going to say that they're great movies, but, like, I like Batman v Superman, uh, the the i forget what it's called ultimate edition or something and uh sucker punch has a director's cut that's it's better and i think also dawn of the dead has a director's cut that's also uh better brad you you, you haven't weighed in on this are, are you gonna watch the snyder cut
3: um i will probably you know give it a look i i don't really care so much you know it's more curiosity than anything you know, and I have the same reservations about just how you know belligerent and you know mean spirited a lot of the Snyder Cut movement has been. Some people have done some great things, and they're very nice, and they're just passionate fans. Others have been downright terrible and endlessly harassed. So many people, and you know, just, just anybody who ever tried to say anything about the Snyder Cut would just be you know attacked by this big online mob. And so, you know, uh, I yeah, I'll watch it, but you know, I just. Beyond pleasing these fans, this it's not really going to do much yeah. because it's going to end and there's going to be a cliffhanger and he's not going to get to keep telling his story. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the other thing that's probably worth mentioning. The Justice League film was supposed to be the first part of a two-part film series. So it's almost like you're going to get Infinity War without getting you know, Endgame. So it's going to end on kind of a dire note that's a cliffhanger. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if anybody – are, are Snyder fans, are, 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 is this whole contingent going to be satisfied when this is released? No. And, no. No.
4: Yeah. no. Of course not. <laughs> they will immediately after watching this, they will start the hashtag release the Justice League sequel or whatever. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And they're going to be like, we, you know, we got it done once before. Why can't we do it again? And then the sun will burn out. And <laughs> that will be the end of us all. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to another story, the other side
1: of the comic book universe. Let's talk about the Marvel universe, but not the MCU, Sony's Spider-Man universe. We have learned about a new film that has found a director. H.T., tell us about it.
2: Yeah, a new report from Variety uh, broke the news that S.J. Clarkson, who had originally been tapped to direct Star Trek IV, has been tapped to direct a Madame Web movie. Uh, this is centered around this sort of obscure supporting character in the Spider-Man universe, uh, which is usually an elderly woman who has a neuro um, uh, de- neurodegenerative disease and thus is hooked to a life support system that makes her look like she has a, a web behind her. But a um, the report from Variety suggests that the that Sony is looking for a an A-lister akin to Charlize Theron or Ad- Amy Adams to lead this film, and that they're putting this in high priority because they are looking to get a female directed, female led film in their. Spider-Man, Marvel spin-off universe that contains films like Venom and Morbius. So uh, S.J. Uh, S- Clarkson is um, yeah is, is tapped to direct this. There is no writer yet on board, despite a previous report around September 2019 uh, from Collider that suggested that the Morbius writers Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless were, had been hired. So uh, especially there is no writer yet, but uh, S.J. Clarkson is uh, helming this film.
1: Do you think that this character is actually going to be an elderly woman? Like, I feel like that's not the typical choice, especially when you want like little kids who like superhero movies to come to, you know, pay money to see a superhero film in the theaters
2: yeah considering who sony is looking at i very very much doubt they're going to go with the elderly that route even though that would be a really interesting uh (laughs) female-led superhero property and we haven't really had that like an over 40 even superhero uh female superhero so that would be just so interesting but apparently this is you know this sony's just kind of looking to get into the uh the sexy sort of female Mm -hmm. superhero um (laughs) Market and uh, this is their first one, which is kind of strange because there's so many other uh, female Spider Man supporting characters that are even a little bit more well known Gwen Stacy, Silk, and uh, they're going with Madame Webb instead, which yeah. is um, interesting.
1: They also have like what, like Black Cat, and I mean, they, they haven't yeah. done uh, yeah, I guess Gwen Stacy, the version, yeah. Um, I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm I, I doubt this is gonna happen, but. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Let's talk about Steven Soderbergh. Apparently, over the quarantine, he unexpectedly wrote a script, a sequel to Sex, Lies, and Videotape. What do we know, H. D. Yeah,
2: Steven Soderbergh is keeping busy during quarantine. Um, He has apparently been working on writing screenplays since the lockdown started. He's finished three screenplays he, he revealed, one of which is an original, the other is an adaptation of a novel that he'd been trying to do, and the third is a sequel to Sex, Lies, and Videotape, the 1989 breakout hit that sort of launched him into stardom. And uh, he said that this, this started as sort of a creative exercise for him. He had been wanting to just kind of keep his creative juices flowing and get back to writing, which he hadn't really done since the early in his career. And uh, he had finished you know, these three screenplays, and he told uh, Flavier's Nightcap Live that he actually he wrote the Sex Lies and Videotape sequel, and he actually wants to make it. So this is more than just maybe a creative exercise for him. He actually is on board to to write this sequel. Um, it's not really clear what, what the sequel will be about. This is going to be about thirty one years after more than 31 years after the original film came out so it's not clear whether the original cast will come on board but uh yeah that's something that he's uh thinking about making and you know Soderbergh makes so many movies so quickly that I wouldn't be surprised that if he just if he just shot it while in quarantine and got the original cast um James Spader, Andy McDowell to do the film because it, it feels like a very I don't know a lockdown type of film that you could do because it's a I guess, charge drama. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, what Soderbergh is working on right now.
1: Is anybody interested in a sequel to Sex, Lies, and Videotape? And also, will Videotape be in the title? Because at this point, I don't think anybody knows what Videotape is anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like,
2: it's... What would it be? It would be what sex uh, he's been shooting with iPhones recently. So maybe it would just be like sex lies and iPhones because that's his been that's been his, what he's been experimenting with, with um, unsane high flying birds shooting with smartphone film. So maybe that'll be that uh, doesn't have the same ring to it, though.
1: Yeah. More sex and lies. I don't know. Uh, OK. Uh, the other thing we learned about Steven Soderbergh is he is partially responsible for the Bill and Ted sequel coming about. Brad, what do we know?
3: So, Bill and Ted Face the Music uh, is the third installment in the sci-fi comedy franchise, starring Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Uh, As of now, it's slated to come out in August this year. We'll see if that holds true, depending on how the whole situation with movie theaters being closed and possibly reopening for Christopher Nolan's Tenant works out. But uh, in the meantime, we have an interesting bit of trivia in that Steven Soderbergh uh, really was responsible for helping get Bill and Ted face the music in front of cameras. Um, Back when he was working on this HBO project called Mosaic, which was both a series that was airing on HBO and also had storylines that were unfolding through an interactive app that went along with the series. Uh, He worked with Ed Solomon, who is the original writer of the Bill and Ted franchise and also wrote the new movie. And, of course, just discussion in general, because Steven Soderbergh is, you know, a nerd like the rest of us, uh, talked to him about making the Bill and Ted movies. And he learned that there was uh, a script for a third one and he read it and he decided to reach out to the companies that own the rights. And he was like, hey, the script is good. Why aren't, you know, we making this? And so he basically lit a fire under their asses and was a part of finding uh, director Dean Paris to come and, uh, take the helm, and the, the rest is history. So now we're just waiting to see uh, how it turns out and when it'll get released.
1: Crazy. So uh, <laughs> who would have saw that happening? I, another thing I didn't see happening is them making another Legally uh, Blonde movie, Legally Blonde 3, and uh, we have some news on who it's being written by, and this is actually a little bit of promising news. HD, tell us about it.
2: Yes, Mindy Kaling and Brooklyn Nine-Nine co-creator Dan Gore are going to be writing the Legally Blonde 3 script, which will feature the return of Reese Witherspoon in the fabulous role. Uh, Mindy Kaling and Dan Gore have signed on to write the film, which was actually announced about two years ago. Um, And uh, the original scribes, Kirsten Smith and Karen McCullough, were actually originally set to write the film. But Kaling and Gore are going to be giving an entirely new fresh spin on the screenplay. Um, This is actually going to be Kaling. And Gore's second feature collaboration, they've got a untitled wedding comedy starring Mindy Kaling and Priyanka Chopra that's currently in the works at Universal. Um, but this is uh, it's exciting, like you said. I've been really, I've been raving about Mindy Kaling's new Netflix series, uh, Never Have I Ever, and I think that she just has such a great, one of the best handles on just kind of rom-coms of the writers working in comedy today. She really gets to just the um, the the fun of it, the cheesiness, cheesiness of it, the sincerity of it. And she knows how to write a good love triangle. And um I just am really excited to see what she is able to do with Legally Blonde Um Three. Um Legal the first Legally Blonde is is so great. Legally Blonde Two is not so great. Um, but uh it it could be fun to see Reese with the Spoon back in the role and um potentially with more of a rom-com spin in the original. It's just kind of about her. You know, finding herself and become and realizing that she's more than just the man, than just what she is with the man. And so it might be something that's a bit more on the um, romantic side. Although uh, if she and Luke Wilson are still together, uh, hopefully. I don't know. I wonder if it'll be different. So yes, that's hmm. I'm very excited about this movie, if you can tell. And uh, I'm excited about this whole team behind it.
1: Very cool. Uh, Let's talk about the coronavirus. Let's talk about uh, what is going on with Hollywood trying to start filming new projects. Uh, We learned recently that Blumhouse is one of the first out of the gate to potentially have a post-pandemic film shoot. Chris, tell us about it.
4: Yes. So uh, Blumhouse, we don't really know a lot about what this is movie is going to be but they're you know Blumhouse has a deal with Universal and they're trying to put together a, a movie to shoot on the Universal lot uh you know very soon and it's going to be like a, a low budget 6.5 million dollar movies movie and uh, what you know what makes this interesting is um <laughs> cast you know the cast is going to have to put deal with new safety protocols um you know it goes without saying that at this point film shooting is not going to ever be the same as it was you know there's not going to be like craft services tables it's it's going to be a very weird sort of adjustment because you know film sets are you know they're very close quarters people are always moving around people are always handling the same equipment and you know, that's just not going to be possible right now at the moment. And so it's just, it's a very curious setup. And, you know, like I said, we don't know too much about what the movie is going to be, but we just know it's going to involve a very small amount of people. And that's what they're aiming for. And we also learned that Michael Bay is producing something, a post-pandemic thriller. Yes, this is called uh, Songbird. And the idea for this is... It's apparently like a actual coronavirus movie. It's it's set two years from now, but two years from now the coronavirus hasn't gone away. It's actually gotten worse in in this movie, and uh, it's just people dealing with you know that situation. And it's going to be a, a, like a remote movie, which kind of makes it sound like it's going to be uh, something like Unfriended or uh, Searching, where a lot of it is people talking directly into computer screens or their cameras Uh, and it's being compared to both Cloverfield and Paranormal Activity which definitely sounds like a found footage sort of film interesting so are these people all going to be shooting
1: remotely like how does that work like are is it going to be like FaceTime on their phones running around this kind of abandoned world I don't know how like
4: do we do you have any speculation I'm guessing that's what it is. Um, the original story said,, uh, they're remotely going over everything with with people uh, at at the moment. and so it really does sound to me like no one is going to be like interacting with each other. or if they are, they're gonna be like across the street from each other or something like that. Like it doesn't seem like there's gonna be multiple people sharing one scene at a time. Yeah, one thing I
1: have been wondering is how the coronavirus is gonna affect the er let me say again how the coronavirus is going to affect the future of like television like right now we're getting a lot of shows that are being filmed in quarantine but also like a lot of stuff has been filmed so like mandalorian is coming out in october but what is this going to mean for like next year like hd do we know
2: Yeah, so um, we're starting to see overseas productions slowly restarting in New Zealand and Czech Republic, but the majority of scripted TV shows across the globe will probably be delayed well into 2021. There's a new report from the Ampere from Ampere Analysis that predicts that um, 60% of scripted shows in Hollywood and around the world um, that were set to debut in 2020 will be delayed up to a year while, the, while 10% of planned shows will actually be scrapped entirely but for those reality TV show fans there is a silver lining um, those shows are pretty to, to bounce back by the end of this year 2020 so we'll likely be getting a lot more of those weird Netflix social experiment shows uh, a little bit sooner than we'll be seeing scripted shows that's not
1: good that's bad news for everybody uh we also got some tv news yesterday that ruby rose is leaving batwoman after one season the star of the show is going to be replaced in season two brad what is going on here
3: yeah this came out of nowhere at the end of the day yesterday um so batwoman just finished its season finale last weekend and suddenly a few days later ruby rose announced that she was leaving the show um It was an official statement that didn't really give a reason. Um, A lot of people assume that maybe it has something to do with the stress that has been caused on her physically because she actually endured uh, a pretty serious back injury while performing uh, a stunt in the middle of the first season where she had herniated two discs and it threatened to partially paralyze her and she had to get emergency surgery in order to get it taken care of. But as, after the story broke today, there's been some slightly more gossipy details saying that Ruby Rose wasn't really happy in the role. Uh, she didn't really like the long days that they were working. And since she wasn't happy in the role, uh, the crew wasn't having the best time getting along with her. And it made the whole process just much more difficult than it needed to be. And it, it may have been a more mutual parting of the ways where she didn't want to do, the, do it anymore and they were happy to find somebody else. Um, so the plan now is that uh, producers are on the lookout for uh, a new cast member, uh, somebody who will likely be an LGBTQ um, actor or actress, and uh, they'll be putting them in the in the role because that's a key part of the character's uh, DNA. They want to make sure that they keep that that going, um, and so they'll have a whole new Batwoman for season two. And it'll be interesting to see if they try to explain it in any capacity because <laughs> they they do have um, you know the Flash who. Consistently goes into parallel dimensions and that kind of things, and sometimes when he time travels, things get changed and it screws things up. So maybe they can do like a little bit of a thing where there there's this small change where she looks completely different, but she's the exact same person she was before. Um, <laughs> but who, who knows? Any, anything is possible with these comic book shows in, in the Arrowverse. <laughs>
2: I have a question. Do we know if they're going to be recasting Kate Kane completely or if there will be a new Batwoman but, Batwoman, but a different character taking on the mantle?
3: Um, That is a good question. I, I have to look and see exactly what the wording was in there. So at the end it says... Um... The studio network are firmly committed to Batwoman's second season and long-term future, and we, along with the show's talented creative team, look forward to sharing its new direction, including the casting of a new lead actress and member of the LGBTQ community in the coming months. So they don't specifically say that they are going to still use, uh, you know, the same character. They could bring in somebody else to be Batwoman, I-, I guess. But if they're but if they are looking for somebody who's from the LGBTQ community, then one would think that they would have her playing the same character.
1: Mm. That would be so weird, though, that j- just replace the the lead star of a TV. Like, I know it's been done before. Like, I think on Roseanne, they they replaced who, like Becky or something back in the day. And there was like maybe a joke about it. Of, like, oh, you look different today or something like that. And they just like went on with it. But that that's a sitcom. That's different. This is a, you know, <laughs> a TV show in this new millennium where it's like people have more of an attachment to these actors and the characters and the roles. And I don't know, like Brett, is this unprecedented? Like, I know there's been times in the past, like, I guess bewitched or something, but like, has there been anything in like such a big, not, you know, sitcom that has happened like this before?
3: the The closest thing is that Andy Whitfield, who was one of the uh, leads in, in Spartacus on stars, left the show because he was diagnosed with cancer. but otherwise this is the first time like the lead titular character of any series has left you know seemingly of their own volition after a single season, you know um, in in this capacity I, I, every other you know key cast member departure from a series has usually been, well into the series existence it's usually uh, somebody who's part of the ensemble cast like you know say Steve Carell from The Office or Topher Grace from that 70s show and the show has continued after that but yeah this is this is the first time that a major role in a very popular show that's part of a you know larger universe of shows has had to deal with something like this. Well it's,
1: it's really interesting indeed but that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at dot You can find links to the stories we mentioned on today's podcast. Linked in the show notes. You can find this podcast in iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at dot And as always, please rate and read this podcast in iTunes, tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you on Friday.